I remember as a kid, one of the most agonizing things that could happen to me was having to go shopping with my mom. I don't mean like grocery shopping. That was okay because there was, you know, always cereals and cookies to ask for. Um, specifically, like when we'd go to the mall to buy clothes. Um, where we lived, it was an hour drive to go to anything, where any good clothing stores or the mall that we'd typically go to. And, and you know, there got to be an age where, like, I liked that stuff, right? You, you look forward to buying clothes and buying But when you're a kid, it's like just a miserable experience. And I remember, and it wasn't anything to do with my mom. It's just being a kid, you know? And I, I remember specifically hating when we had to buy jeans. Try this pair on. Try this pair on. Or sweaters. I hated it. Because I don't know um, when they stopped making sweaters itchy. But there was like, I don't know, a certain date in the 90s and before, and they were just itchy. They all itched, and I hated it. I didn't want to put them on all the time. Um, and, you know, I wanted to go to a, look at the toys, or I wanted to, if we're in the mall, there's an arcade or a food court. There's a million other things I'd rather be doing than being right where we are. And inevitably, since it was so far away from home, if we were going for clothes shopping, once my mom was satisfied with what we'd bought for me, then she's going to look around for herself, which then it gets even worse because now it's like I don't even have a part to play, but I have to be there, and you're just like, ugh, and you're, you know, you're trying to just entertain yourself because this was before screens, and so you just had to like get in trouble all on your own by flipping over things on the makeup counter or whatever you did. I remember I used to like climbing in the middle of those round clothing racks, it's like the eye of the storm in there, you know? Um, I wasn't hiding. Like, my mom knew where I was, but it was just like you could sit in there, and it was like your own little personal booth or whatever. I don't know, your room, little hideout in the middle of this horrible store. Um, but it's one of those moments, and I think we've all had them, you know, where you're in a situation where you would rather be anywhere but where you are. Like, if, you could, if there was any escape hatch to get you out of there, you would take that at any time. Um, it could be, you know, maybe you're stuck in, in traffic on the interstate. Because you, the worst part is, when you're in those situations, you're the only one who knows how to drive properly. So you're, you're stuck with all these people who don't know what they're doing. Um, or maybe you've, been, you've ever been stuck in an airport when you had a delay or a layover or your plane was late. Um, those are miserable. Um, or you're at the dentist getting a root canal. And you're like, get me out of here anywhere but here. Uh, my least favorite part of that situation is sitting in the chair, waiting for them to come give you the shot. Like, I hate that. I'd, ra I'd rather be numb and miserable and have that all over with when sitting there waiting for it. Um, you can probably tell that waiting is um, not my thing. Don't love it. Patience, patience is a virtue, but it has never been my virtue. But there's all these different kinds of situations, and they can be small things to just over-the-top, cloudy, overwhelming, all-consuming life events. These moments, these seasons where you find yourself in a place where you're like, I'd, anywhere but here. And what's, um, what's really hard for us in those moments is just being okay with where we are. Like, we have, a, we have a really hard time just accepting that this is life right now, and we got to be here. Um, one thing we in the Western world really struggle with is struggling. We don't handle pain and suffering and heartache and, and struggle and loss well. Um, there's kind of this prevailing idea that anything that's painful or uncomfortable at, in any capacity is evil and bad and wrong, and we need to get out of it as quickly as possible. Um, that's just kind of how our culture feels about life in general. And then we Christians have kind of copied and pasted those feelings into our faith. 
and brought God into the equation so that when we're in a situation that's bad or painful or uncomfortable or awful, then we label it as evil and God needs to rescue us from it. This is something that's bad. It's evil. It can't be God's will for us to hurt. It can't be God's will for us to be in pain. And so God needs to show up in a big way and get us out of here. And uh, it doesn't matter if we're hurting for money, if somebody is sick, if you have a job that makes you miserable, if you're just in a season of life that you're eager to move on from for whatever reason, um, if there's any situation that causes us pain, we kind of expect that can't be God's will. And so he's just going to show up eventually. If he's good and loving, he'll show up and get me out of here. But the problem with that line of thinking, assuming that all painful things are bad and all pleasurable things are good, the problem with that is that is not anywhere in Scripture. From beginning to end, that is never once told to us. That is a modern secular worldview that we have kind of brought and, like I said, copied and pasted into our faith, and it doesn't belong there. Um, Now, we're in the third week of this series called Living in Exile, where we are learning how to be Christians in a culture that is foreign to us. Um, You go back in time about 100 years, 150 years, um, and in American life, things were pretty much still driven by Christian values. Um, Christian morality was kind of the law of the land. Christian practices determined the calendar. All that stuff was very well and normal, and it's still kind of that way, Um, But uh, especially for us in the Midwest. But the farther back in time you go, things like um, church, going to church and being a person of faith, those kinds of things indicated that you were an upstanding citizen or a good person. You were a good person if you did all those things. And um, now, um, culture has changed so rapidly, that's not the case anymore. Uh, Christians don't have the cultural power or sway that we once did. Um, Morality has changed so that the things we considered wrong are now considered right. The things we consider good are now considered evil. But the thing is, as as culture has changed really quickly, Christianity is a 2,000-year-old belief system. We don't change a lot. Like, what we believe doesn't change a lot. It's pretty stable as time goes on. And so um, cultures change, but we haven't. And our beliefs uh, stay the same. And so it's become more and more obvious over time that our culture and our faith are at odds. And going so quickly from a culture that affirms and supports Christianity to one that ridicules and and is at times hostile to it, um, that has a lot of Christians standing around with their heads spinning, going, what's going on? And as Christ followers in the United States, we really don't know how to handle living in a culture, being Christians, how to conduct ourselves in a God-honoring way in a world that doesn't make it easy for us to be Christians. It's just a big shift, and we don't know what to do. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at a time in the history of ancient Israel when they were conquered by a much larger nation called Babylon. And Babylon... Um, started in with uh, kidnapping the royal family, taking leaders out of power and putting their own leaders in power in Israel. Uh, They ransacked palaces and temples, took some wealth, killed a lot of people. They eventually came back and pretty much flattened the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Jerusalem. Um, But one thing they did was they just kidnapped a lot of people and took them with them back to Babylon. So, you know, one day you're just living your Israelite life, and then you hear a little rumbling, you look at the horizon, see an army coming, and then a few weeks later, boom, you've been kidnapped, your home is destroyed, and you're living in a whole new country. 
Like, it was just a big old whiplash experience for these people. They found themselves almost immediately in a land they didn't know, in a culture they didn't understand, with beliefs and languages they didn't recognize. And what you had was these followers of God who all of a sudden had to figure out, how do I be a follower of God in this new place I find myself, in this new culture that really doesn't want me to be a follower of God anymore? And so that's kind of how you know, we're, we're looking at their story because it's a little bit like our story. Now, whereas they got moved physically to a new culture that was different and they didn't recognize, we stood still and maintained our beliefs while the world radically shifted around us. And so now we find ourselves, even though we didn't move, standing in a place that we don't particularly recognize. So we've got to learn. How do we be Christians in this new landscape? Because, I mean, it's I don't think I've made it really any surprise. I don't think Christians have done a really great job over the last few decades of navigating this. Um, some have, but, but there's been some big, major faux pas that Christians have made over this last few decades. Now, in the first couple weeks of the series, we looked at Daniel, as Casey mentioned, and, and Daniel and, and some of his friends, and how did they personally handle being in this new culture that was trying to press them to compromise their beliefs. But today, and for the next several weeks, we're going to move to the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a, was a prophet who um, kind of had two sections to his ministry. Uh, one, God used him to speak to the Israelites before Babylon came. And he's saying, if you guys don't get your act together, because they were doing some very evil stuff, they were worshiping other gods, and God used Jeremiah to say, if you do not get your act together, this other nation's going to come in and take you away, and you're going you're gonna to lose the land that I gave you. And so he puts out all these warnings, all these warnings. Spoiler alert, nobody listens. The exile happens. And then Jeremiah spoke to the exiles, saying, okay, well, it happened. So how? here's what you do now. Here's how you stay faithful to God in this new season and how you navigate this new time and place that you find yourself in. So we're going to be in Jeremiah 29 uh, today, next week, and the week after. So if you want to grab a Bible and flip there, that would be good. Um, we're going to kind of, I'm going to read uh, these little, this little section out of order because, you know, that doesn't make sense, I get it, but it's going to help us understand what's going on a little bit easier by doing it out of order. But before we start reading in Jeremiah 29, um, we first have to put ourselves in the shoes of these exiles, okay? Because when this happened, they had the same, they reacted the same way to being in a bad situation that you and I do. Um, they were, um, at first, a lot of younger people, the real smart people that, it, that uh, the Babylonians said, these people have, are smart and have a lot of promise, and they took them away and put them to work for the government put them in like government work to be civil servants of different varieties, okay? And so, um, but, but that's not, not everybody got kind of a glitzy job like that. And so you have a lot of these people who have their lives turned upside down, and they just kind of did what we do when life gets, turns upside down. We think, when can I go back to when it was good? When life gets bad, we almost instinctively start looking back. When can I go back to that day when life was awesome, when things were good, and we wish that we could maybe even undo what has been done? They start wishing they could go back, um, I, and, and I do that too. I've had those moments where life takes a twist that I didn't see coming, and I start praying, God, please, can I just go to sleep tonight and wake up you know, yesterday morning and change things so that this could 
so that life doesn't happen the way that it's happened. Can we, God, can I please wake up tomorrow and everything's just gone back the way that it was? Um, surely I'm not the only person who's prayed a prayer like that. God, can this just be over and I wake up and this was all just a bad dream? Um, I, I, it's partly, um, part of the reason probably why I pray that kind of stuff is I've seen too many time travel movies where that was like the storyline, you know, Back to the Future or Groundhog Day where the point of the movie was going back to undo something that wasn't, it went wrong. And, and, and again, those movies get made because when something goes wrong, there's this instinctive thing that says, no, that's an injustice. This isn't my life story. I've got to go back and undo that thing. And so, like us, what happened to a lot of these exiles was they were standing around saying, this is horrible, this is bad, this can't be God's will for us, so surely God's going to show up any second now and take us right on back to Israel and put everything right back the way that it was. They were standing around, looking back, not moving forward, waiting for rescue. And so, in their despair into this moment that they're just sitting there waiting around, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for God to show up and and just magically fix everything, the prophet Jeremiah sends a letter of of something God said to him to these people in exile to kind of say, okay, here's what's going to happen at this point. And so here's what God says. We're going to start in Jeremiah 29, 8 and 9. 29, 8 and 9. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So, Pause. Not only do you have the people, the main, most of the people waiting, okay, we're getting ready to go back. I'm ready. God, surely God's going to show up and go back. But you had all these kind of false teachers, false prophets who were liking, saying, hey, don't you worry, guys. God spoke to me last night, and he's going to show up and take us right on back. So you just stand still and wait. Any second now, God's going to show up in some way, and he's going to take us right back to when things were good. And so in any situation, this is just kind of a normal human thing that always tends to happen. There's always a group of people who tells people what they want to hear, and they get a lot of popularity from that. Um, you should recognize that. I feel like that's the political state of our country right at the moment, right? We have all these politicians who will say whatever they can to get higher approval ratings and gather more votes. They make promises about how they're the only one who can save the world, and, and it's life or death. The world's going to end if we don't vote them into power, right? And then we elect them, and we quickly find out that they don't have a clue about what they're doing, and the only skill they have is building themselves up. And I'm not at all cynical about the state of politics in our country at this moment, but, but we should recognize this kind of thing, like these people that tell people what they want to hear. And that's what these false teachers are doing. And Jeremiah, a real person, real prophet who has really had God speak to him, writes to these people and says, here's what God says. Don't listen to those guys. They are lying to you. This idea that you're going to get, go right back to where you were is not the truth you need to be hanging your lives on. But, what's, and, but because they were having their deepest desires confirmed by these false teachers, they're just waiting. They're not unpacking bags. They're not settling down. They're not moving forward with life. They're looking in the rearview mirror, waiting to go backward to what was before. And so God shows up through the prophet Jeremiah and kind of starts to break to them some really hard news. Let's go back up. We're going to go back up to verse 4. 
said, we're going to do this a little out of order. So we're going to go now up to verse 4. This is kind of the start of this little letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what God here does now is he goes after that idea that bad things are evil. Pain is not from God. God only is the one who shows up to rescue us out of pain and out of suffering. But God would never, ever, ever, ever allow us to be in pain and suffering. And God makes it clear that this bigger nation didn't just come and conquer them, but that God allowed and even used that bigger nation to punish Israel. It was an intentional thing that God did. This miserable situation that they are in, God says, I allowed this to to happen. I am the one who allowed you, who sent you into exile. You're given the Babylonians credit, but I am the one who did that to you. God wasn't caught off guard the way the Israelites were when the Babylonians came over the horizon. And he's incredibly powerful. He has a sovereign rule over all things. And so when life gets turned upside down, when we're hurting, when we're disoriented, the natural thing, like I said, is to want to escape and go back to what is familiar and comfortable, um, to what is normal and right and good in our eyes. But here God says, just because that's out of your control doesn't mean it's out of mine. Just because that's painful for you doesn't mean it's not something that I am surprised by. It doesn't mean that it's not something that I'm going to use. God in his sovereignty um, will sometimes allow pain. There's stories in the New Testament where we see God cause suffering in order that he might, through that pain, accomplish some good work. And one of the hardest things that we have to come to terms with as Christians, one thing that might even be a sign of maturity in the life of a believer, is being able to accept that even in moments of pain, God is still good. That even when hurt comes, even when life goes a direction that we desperately do not want it to go, that God is still good. Now, um, there's a a, a distinction that we need to make here that's really important, okay? Um, Let's say something happens in your life that's miserable and, and painful and all that. That doesn't mean that that was God's design for your life. It doesn't mean that God was like, you know what they need? They need some hurting. No, Um, but sometimes um, God has given free will to humanity. He's given us the choice. One of the most powerful things he empowered the human race with was the, was the ability to choose and to, and to make decisions and to try to be, have agents of goodness in his world. But that power of choice, sometimes we use it for good and sometimes we use it for evil. And God will allow us to make the choices that we make. But just because we, we make a terrible, painful choice that causes ourselves pain or someone else pain, that doesn't mean that God can't show up and say, oh boy, that was dumb, but I can, I can use that. I can redirect that back to where I want things to go. Um, and so, yes, sometimes we make choice, or sometimes we suffer because we've done something foolish, or someone else has done something foolish, or someone did something sinful against you, or because you chased after a sin. That doesn't mean that God is like, oh no, you ruined my plan. What am I going to do now? No, God is so good and big and powerful and loving that he can even take a bad situation and work in the details and bring good about 
through it. He can redeem those painful moments. And it's understanding that that allows us to enter into a painful season of life, a difficult, awful season, and still be able to trust him in it, knowing that this, this, this is where I am, and God can work through this. Um, it might not be immediate, but I can trust that he can do that. Now, so yeah, I'm not saying that God designed your life to be a life of suffering, but he will allow our acts of free will to play out in the world. Now, one thing I hear uh, so often from Christians as life has gotten just more resistant to Christian faith is in this idea that we want to go back. If only we could, you know, go back to the good old days, um, back to when people, you know, loved God. Um, we want to go back to whatever it is. And we often think that the way forward is back because that's where the fun was. And, and you can see this, um, interestingly enough, in how churches do what they do um, because there's a lot of churches that when you walk into them, you feel like you've walked through the doors of a time machine and you've walked back in time to the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. And you walk in and you're like, where am I right now? This is not 2023. It's because we've, we've, we've fallen in love with this moment that was great and wonderful and glorious in our, in, our, in our lives of faith, and we just kind of hit the pause button because we wanted to stay there. And as the world changed around us, we resisted the change. And because we just, oh, it's so good here. I don't want to go forward. I don't want to accept what's going on and the, the way the world is falling apart around us. We didn't want to accept it. That's one little indicator you've seen of churches wanting to kind of hit the pause button. But, but we cannot forget that God, again, is sovereign. That means he has all-encompassing power over all things. And where we are is where we are because God allowed it. And that's, that can be tough to accept. But it means that he determines what is happening in our lives, and it, and it is still within the realm of him accomplishing his will in your life and in the life of um, all people. And so as we're freaking out and asking God to go back, I'm just going to tell you from my own experience and from my own experience just being a minister and seeing the lives of people as we've suffered collectively as a church family, very rarely do we get to go back. Very, very rarely will we return to what was. Almost always that, that painful moment will change the landscape of our lives moving forward. And so as we're freaking out and wanting to go back, um, we have to be okay that maybe going forward with something that's not what... I, that's not our will, might be God's will. And so he goes on with this, after saying, I'm the, ones that, I'm the one that sent you into exile. So he tells him, okay, what do we do here now that we're in exile? Verse 5 is where we're going to pick up. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so this is where God says, get your eyes off the rearview mirror, because it's time to start moving forward. It's time to stop waiting to go back and start building your life where you are. It's time to start putting the pieces together where you are. And I love the, the, the pictures that he paints. Build your house. 
He doesn't say set up a tent. Tents are temporary. Houses are like, this is where our home's going to be. This is where I've settled. This is where I'm going to be. So start having kids. He said, I want you guys, when, it, when you do finally go back to Israel, I want it to be a bigger caravan than the one that came out here. Build your lives. Set up shop. This is what you're going to do here. Find a way to live and love and work and serve and build families and move forward exactly where I have placed you. It's not where you want to be, but it's where you are. And it's time to stop building the life that I have set you in. You know, a few times a week, Abby and I will sit down and gush over pictures that show up in our Facebook memories. And it's always pictures of our kids when they were itty-bitty little things. And I mean... We'll sit there and go, oh, what happened? It was like yesterday. Where did this go? And we start to like, you know, it breaks your heart. You see these little tiny bodies, both boys, you know, run around our house in like a T-shirt and underwear, and they're covered in food or mud. Found one yesterday where Jude, his face was all blue because he'd been licking a piece of chalk, you know, sidewalk chalk. And we're like, oh, that's so sweet. And then we'll come across a video, and you'll hear their little voices. And you're like, oh, I mean, that just, it's like a knife to the heart. And there's this part of us like, wouldn't you want to go back there in a second? And they're like, I would love to go back to that in just a moment. I want to just go back and hold their little tiny bodies and give them hugs and play whatever game that they love to play in that season. Watch whatever horrible kid show they liked at that moment. Go out and push, on the, uh, push them on the swings. I just want to go back and, and do all of it. But as much as I want to go back, there's no going back to that. Time marches on. And if we let ourselves, our hearts will be so hungry for what was that we'll miss out on what is. And we'll be so hungry for, to going back to that little baby and little kid stage that we'll miss that we have, you know, growing young men and women in our house who need parented in a very different way than they used to need parenting. And we'll miss the opportunity and we'll botch the chance that God has given us in the season we're in because we're too busy hoping for what was, looking back, pining for the good old days. And so now what's happening for these exiles is before, as they're wanting to go back, God makes it incredibly clear that that is just not an option. Going back doesn't happen, at least for these people. So now we're going to jump down to verse 10 where God makes it painfully, painfully clear. Oh, I left out the main point of the sermon. That's really good preaching, isn't it? Um, the, but, but you kind of got the drift just here, what we've been covering. Like the, the, the idea he wants to convey to these people is that exiles accept where they are. They stop looking in the rearview mirror and they, be, they say, this is where I am. I love that there, but this is where I am. And where you are, you can always you can always count on the fact, because God is good and he is sovereign, wherever you are, you can count that he has work for you to do. He has something for you. If you're still breathing, you've still got something that God has for you in the future. And so we must accept where we are. Now we'll jump down to verse 10, uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. When 70 years has passed, then the Israelites will get to return to Israel. Can you imagine like the bucket of cold water that that was for some of these people? Did anybody do the ice bucket challenge, what, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whenever that was? Whoever came up with that, that was dumb. Like, 
Who, we need like a hot bubble bath challenge or something, because that was terrible, okay? But, but it was such, when that water hits you, it's like, I mean, it's a shock to your system. It's just like, you, you, can't, you can't sit there and keep your muscles relaxed. Like, you physically react. A sound comes from the deepest part of your gut that you didn't even intend. Like, as your abs just contract, it just pushes. It just, this noise just comes out of you that you didn't want. Like, this is the kind of news. Because for some he's like, in 70 years, you'll go back. For most of these people, that's the same as saying, you're not going back. You're never going to see your home again. You got any relatives back there? You're never going to see them again. That, that is over for you. Your kids, your grandkids, they might go back, but not you. And as shocking as, and as painful as that was for them, that's what they needed to hear because they were stuck. Not moving forward, looking back, hoping for what was, rather than seeing, okay, God, what do you have for us here? And God says, I have fruitful lives for you here. You're going to have homes and families and love stories and lives, Leah. You're going to have gardens and family dinners. I got a lot for you here, but you're going to miss it because you're too busy looking back at what was. And sometimes I wonder, as shocking and as painful as that was, if we need to hear that same kind of thing. If we need to just have somebody tell us, we're not going back. The days when we could throw up a tent and hand out flyers and have everybody show up in town to a big revival, I think that's over. I don't see that coming back again. That, was, that predates me, and I'm, as Eleanor said last year, I'm getting ready to turn 30-10. Because last year I turned 39, and so she said this year I'm turning 30-10. Okay? And that predates my entire existence in the church. I've never seen that, and I've never seen anything come close to the stories I've heard of those big tent revivals. Gone are the days when our faith opened more doors than it shut. I think that's over. Gone are the days when we could assume that everyone had a basic understanding of the gospel. That's not the case anymore. And so part of being in exile is making peace with that. We're not going back. We are where we are. What does God have for us here? And how can we make our way forward? And like I said, Christians in the last few decades, we've not done a great job at it. We've tried to hit the pause button. We've stopped doing uh, stop, stop changing. You know, we, you, like I said, you walk into a church and it feels like you step back in time 30 years. Um, we, we keep ministries going long past their level of effectiveness because they used to work in the days when everything was good. And now that we say everything's bad, which that's a perspective idea anyway, perspective matter anyway there. But we say now that it's bad, oh, we got to keep going because it used to work. Um, some churches, we tend to um, just keep preaching as if everybody understands the gospel. I don't know if you know this, but when we do youth group, if there's a new kid that comes, we can pretty much assume they don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know about the cross. They might not even know that he did much. They might put him kind of in the same category as Gandhi and that they've heard a few nice quotes from him, but that's about all they know, some spiritual guy from a long time ago that nobody cares about. That's where the heads, they don't know. They don't know. And so we, keep, we can't live assuming that, you know, everybody gets it. We just got to come on. Come on, you need to come back to church because there's a lot of generations now that even haven't even been to church. And so instead of working to understand this new culture and how to minister in it, we've tried to pause and live in this bygone era that is gone. Uh, Brennan Manning um, was an author. He passed away a few years ago, but several decades ago, he criticized this practice that churches had, this tendency that churches had to stop moving forward when he said, he said, the church is not a museum for saints, 
but a hospital for sinners. I have loved that quote since I read it in college because it diagnosed this idea that we, when we stop changing and you walk into a church that doesn't look like, and it look, feels like you've stepped back in time 30 years, we've made it a museum for our favorite era of faith. We've made it a museum for that time when our favorite people all came to church with us on Sunday. And, we've, and, and it's changed and it's painful and it's hard. And so rather than moving forward, we've just stayed trying to hold on to what was. And we forgot our purpose. We're to be in open arms to the world saying, here is life. Life is here. Jesus is here. Hope for your future is here. And I think one of the reasons why um, Christians in maybe like the 80s and 90s and even now have been so, certain Christians have been so eager to align themselves with certain political parties and politicians is because of this temptation that maybe if that person gets in power, they can take us back. If, they can, if we can get a little power and they can, change, they can take us back to what was good. Um, and then you have other Christians who haven't really tried to fight to keep things the same. They just ran off and hid. Certain Christians, their whole, lot, whole experience of being a Christian is how can I shelter myself from the world and from everything in it and we can just hide away and, and as long as we're okay, that's what's fine. But you know what? Jesus didn't call us to stand around wishing for what was. He didn't call us to gain some kind of power that we could get back to what was and he didn't call us to hide from what is. No, he called us to be sharers of the gospel, to be fishers of men, to be light to the world. We have work to do. And rather than trying to reclaim days gone by, our time is going to be better spent as Christians in learning how to reach those in the youngest generation who don't have any knowledge of the gospel at all. But what's surprising to a lot of people to hear is that they're curious Remember a few weeks ago when David Lasley was here and he was talking about college ministry? And I, just from hearing you look at news and how much people, how much cultures change, you might think college kids must hate Jesus and must hate anything that has to do with Christianity. But he says, really, the prevailing attitude these students come into the ministry with is curiosity. What an amazing opportunity. Not, I've heard that all before, but I don't know what you're talking about, but let me know. I'm, I'm eager to hear. Um, our time is better spent gaining compassion for people who associate pain and rejection with the church. That's a new problem. There's plenty of people that that's their prevailing idea of the church, is that the church hurt me when I was a kid or when I was a young adult. Um, I think our time is better spent growing in humility and in peaceableness and in kindness and in gentleness so that we can actually engage with people who are actively hostile toward Christianity. Because one thing I've learned just by reading the comments on the internet, which is a dumb thing to do, by the way, but one thing I've learned is that yelling and being angry back at people who are angry really doesn't change anything. Nobody has come to church because a Christian shamed them. Nobody's experienced full life in Jesus because we shook our finger at them and told them off about how evil and dirty of a sinner they are. That's just not the way that it works. Jesus gave us work to do, and the time we spend looking backwards is time that we are not spending moving forward with kingdom work. And it is easy, or it is not easy, excuse me, it's not easy to accept where you are. When life takes a turn and it's painful, it is not easy to accept that new place you find yourself. It probably requires grieving and mourning what has been lost and what has to be done away with. Um, but it doesn't require hopelessness. It doesn't require fear. It doesn't require anger because we have a Savior who is actively at work in the world, actively reshaping the evil decisions of people and the pain in our lives and being so good that he can even use evil for his amazingly good purposes. And he's asking us to join in his work. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for a, a, tough, a tough thing to hear, that going back is rarely the option, and maybe you're calling us forward. You're calling us to look at where we are, even if we don't love it, even if life has handed us a, a series of events that, that, have, that we feel like is a loss, we feel like something's been taken from us. Um, but even in those moments, Father, maybe the option is to, to sit down in prayer and, and to accept from you this new season of life, this new moment that we find ourselves in, and to trust you that even though we feel like we've lost something and we feel disoriented and we feel in pain, that you can still have something amazing for us in this place, that our lives are not over just because life took an unexpected turn, that joy is not gone from our lives forever because life has gotten painful for a season. And so I pray, Father, that we would, um, we would kind of take these words to heart, that we would, like these exiles, stop looking around and start being okay with where we are and not um, fighting but accepting the place you've put us and seeing how, how does God want to move now in this new season, in this new, how does God want me to live now? And we have a world that, like always, needs to hear your gospel. And I pray that we would be people who are eager to take it out from here. We would be eager to share the gospel, invite people into our place, show them the love and grace and mercy of Jesus so that they might be in awe of your goodness just like we are every Sunday. So thank you for um, keeping life moving forward even when uh, it it feels painful, even when we hit a moment that we never think we're going to get past. You always seem to get us through it. And so we thank you for that. And I just pray that you would give us a heart to accept that when li- except where we are when life changes, and to trust you as it happens. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.